The only way to combat uncertainty is try to control everything. The only thing that I control though is myself. I can't control any external circumstances. We so badly want to control other people, the way they talk to us. We want to control the traffic. We want to control the weather. We want to control every single aspect, but we cannot control anything except for what we think and what we do. Nothing else is under our control and that's it. So my cave was uncertainty. My way to cope with it was control. And so now I realize, okay, if that's my uncertainty, I need to be okay with the fact that I don't have to control everything. And that was my biggest lesson. That was Rob Dial, and this is episode 194 of Wellness Force Radio. What's up, my friend? It's your host, Josh Trent, and welcome back to another episode for your weekly access to global experts in all things wellness as we discover the physical and emotional intelligence we need to live life well. In this bombshell of a podcast, we're talking about the intersection of internal peace, living a life of purpose, and psychedelics, the way that these big areas all overlap to unlock the highest levels of emotional intelligence that's possible for all of us to live our life well. We're learning about this from my good friend and fellow podcaster, Rob Dial. What's most interesting about this podcast is we ask the very profound question that applies to all of us in this current age of technology we live in. Why is it? For millions of people, it's more difficult to self-reflect and be still to practice meditation than it is to go beat yourself up in the gym. We're exploring this question in depth with Rob and also learning about how he became a highly sought-after performance coach and world-traveling speaker and the host of the MWF Motivation Podcast and now has a social media following of over half a million people across the world. Now, before we get into this rich podcast today, take a deep breath. You have earned it. I know wherever you are, whenever you found the show in this moment, it very well may be the first time you've reminded yourself to take a huge deep breath for the day. And this is your breath break. Feel your belly pull in the air, then your chest and let it go. This is your moment where you get to practice an act of self-care and self-love. And it's the same mirror of ownership that you take for your nutrients and your micronutrients in your life. But it doesn't have to be so hard. You don't have to chop vegetables at the counter, spill beet juice on your white pants, and then buy a ton of expensive produce only to have it go bad and throw it away in your garbage can. You can get this. It can be easier. You can stack your environment in your favor and get 11 metabolically enhancing superfoods from our show sponsor, Organifi, creators of the red juice, which has become my ultimate favorite. This is my double dose every single day for me, especially in the late afternoons. I've been loving putting Organifi red in my almond milk. I put it in my almond milk. It's like a little afternoon treat without a bunch of calories but it also gives me the mental and physical focus I need to round out the end of my workday. You can have this too. Just go to OrganifiShop.com forward slash wellness force, enter code wellness force to get 20% off your red juice as well as the green, but I love the red so much. Give the red a shot actually. OrganifiShop.com forward slash wellness force and enter code wellness force to get the 20% off hookup as you practice your self-love and self-care with this incredible superfood powder. Now, today we're learning how Rob's life changed after attending a Tony Robbins workshop early on, how his father's death changed the course of his mental and physical intelligence path forever, the importance of not fitting in, how trying to fit in actually hurts us in the long run, how to change the habits and behaviors we don't like by rewiring our synapses in the mind, why negative feedback can actually be something that will forge greater growth by placing a contrast to what you really know to be true, and how Rob's plant medicine ceremony was one of the most life-changing experiences for him ever, how letting go of control can unravel the hidden layers of our hero's journey and how it gave Rob the deepest depths of his purpose and calling. You know, this podcast comes at the perfect time for all of us because the world is not set up for us to have conversations like this, which is why the exact reason you're here where we're having this, a polarizing, belief-changing, and radically truthful conversation back and forth about the steps we can all take to become closer to our unique spiritual path. But how to actually apply this practically in our modern world? I know you're going to hear the confidence in Rob's voice. And as you listen to the show, I want you to plant a seed real quick in your consciousness. How can Rob's lessons, the deepest lessons for him, both painful and exhilarating that he's learned apply to your own life? How can you close the gap between knowing and doing in your own path? And if you feel uncomfortable or triggered in this conversation, that's actually a really good thing because these types of back and forth don't come along that often. And when they do, it reminds us why we're all here in the first place to learn how to let go to trust in ourselves, and to continue our discovering process of this physical and emotional intelligence. And this is why Rob has become a world-class speaker, podcaster, and social media influencer 
because he's going to unpack for all of us how we can do just that. Show notes from today are at wellnessforce.com forward slash 194. Make sure you give Rob Dial a big shout for his authenticity and deep vulnerability in this podcast. Okay, no further waiting. Let's step in to explore the intersection of peace, purpose, and psychedelics with Rob Dial. Rob Dial's an entrepreneur, speaker, coach, and host of the MWF Motivation Podcast. He's also the founder of MWF Motivation, whose mission is to help like-minded individuals like us connect, inspire, and grow to become the best versions of ourselves. I got to meet Rob three years ago when I just started the Wellness Force podcast, and now three years later, here we are connecting as Rob is serving literally millions of people online. Rob Dial, welcome to the show, man. What's up, man? I'm glad to be here. It's good to reconnect. It it's, doesn't feel like it's been that long, but it's crazy to realize it actually has been that long. This is what happens when you're chasing down the dream, when you're like on point, <laughs> on purpose. Time just flies. And I'm super stoked to talk to you, man, about you know this really universal part of life that all of us, men and women, deal with, and that is change, this big mm-hmm. word, change. Not a day goes by where I'm not served up tons of change from the universe or God or higher power. We're always trying to understand on Wellness Force. Your life started it out super early. You were 13 years old, man. Your mom introduced you to Tony Robbins. Uh, mm-hmm. And you said, you know, I've been, quote, addicted to self-help and personal growth ever since. Well, looking back now, you know, you're this man that serves millions. At 13, did you even picture where you'd be now? Yes, believe it or not. Ooh. So by 15, I did. So 13 years old, the way it started was my mom used to listen to Tony Robbins, and I thought it was the most corny thing in the world. I thought it was, I, so I must have learned, like, just happened to be walking by and heard audiobooks and those types of things. But when I was 13, I was the captain for my basketball team, and I was playing my best friend in the championship game, and he was the captain of his basketball team. And we were in the championship game, and I was super nervous, and my mom could tell. And she's like, hey, why don't you just visualize the game before you do it? And I was like, well, I don't know what that means. She told me all about it. She's like, go and visualize the game and play it in your head. So by the time you actually get to there and play the game, you will have felt like you've already done it. And mm. I was like, all right, cool. And I remember being 13 years old and I was, I was inside of the bathroom and I was like, all right, cool. I guess I'll just do it. And I laid down for like 15 minutes and visualized the entire game and noticed that when the game started, uh, I wasn't nervous anymore. And that's kind of when it started. And then when I was 15, what happened was, and this is an interesting question, uh, and it, I literally just remembered this about four days ago, um, this event happening. So when I was 15, my father passed away from being an alcoholic. And so he was an alcoholic my entire life and super open. I could talk about all of those things with him because I've, I've overcome pretty much everything I can think of with it. And mm. we were leaving. He died on November, 20, or no, November 1st. And my sister's birthday, 21st birthday was November 24th. And I remember, so this is 23 days later, I was 15 years old. I had my permit. I was driving the car. My mom was next to me. My sister was behind her. My mom says, so, you know, with your father passing away, like, what are, you, what are your thoughts? What are your feelings? She wanted to kind of just open the discussion with it. And I said, you know what? I think that when dad, if dad were to see how much good is going to come from this with the change that I'm about to start creating, I think that he would be okay uh, with him passing away. Hmm. And I'm going to give kudos to that kid because I don't feel like I'm the same person at all. I feel like it's two separate people, me then and me now. Um, but I kind of did have the, the idea. And then I wanted I asked my mom if I could start talking at AA meetings when I was 15 years old. But the problem that I realized is that AA is super secretive and they don't want people who are not facilitators or not addicts to actually go in. And I wanted to speak to them and say, hey, look, this is what my life looks like and what your children's life could look like if you don't stop. And... Um, that's, that's literally where it started and where I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to turn this really negative thing into a positive thing. And so I always tell people that the worst day of my life was the day my father passed away. And the best day of my life was the day that my father passed away. Mm. So, and the reason why is because I changed the meaning that could have been given to it. Yeah. And this came over time, man. I mean, this is like a short of intuition of emotional intelligence that you sharpen, you chose to sharpen. I think so many of us, like events happen to us, for us, or through us, <laughs> whatever kind of metaphor you want to use there. Uh-huh. Looking back though, I mean, when you're that young, how does a young man at that age have that kind of wisdom? Like what, what brought that up in your consciousness at that age? That's incredible. I, I honestly asked myself the exact same thing. I don't know. And that's why I feel like I can talk about him as if he was a different person is because I look at that kid and I'm like, I don't feel like I was that intuitive, but maybe I was, or maybe I just had some sort of wisdom or, you know, I wasn't like a, a 
positive person or like a Tony Robbins person or any of those things. And my childhood wasn't the greatest, but I think there was just something inside of me that was like, this is really crappy. Hmm. And I can either choose to let this affect me in a negative way or choose to affect me in a positive way. And I guess it was just, you know, I felt like that was kind of my calling at that point. And it took about four years for it to manifest in the first place, because from 15 to 19, I was just kind of, you know, a normal kid, went to school, graduated, went to to college. And then when I was 19 years old, I, I found Cutco and started selling Cutco knives. And within a couple of months was promoted to an assistant manager. And then I started, you know, interviewing people and training people. And then by the time I was 24, I had trained over 2000 sales reps that sold, you know, over $5 million worth of knives in people's houses. And so I always felt that there was something like there was, and I feel like most people probably feel this way when there's a certain point where you're stagnant and you're like, I feel like I have so much more to give the world, yeah. but I just don't know what that avenue is. And once I found that avenue, I was like, this is it. And I went uh, as hardcore as I possibly could. I, I got as many books I could read, which was as many conferences I could go to. And I just literally learned as much about myself as I possibly could and improve myself. And then in turn, what worked for me, I started teaching other people. Yes. And that's kind of how I've been in. I've used myself as a guinea pig for the past you know, 12 years now. Almost <laughs> you remind me of Tim Ferriss, man, because that's, you know, people don't know this, but like when he first started out, that's what he did. He was literally trying everything on like a sweater and see if it itched. Mm -hmm. He started uh, doing a lot of self-experiments like N equals one with Gary Wolf and the people that started Wired Magazine, Kevin Kelly. And I mm -hmm. think this iteration, Rob, this constant iteration, constantly trying on new things to see how they fit in your life. A lot of people don't do this. They kind of accept what happens and it's like, well, this event happened. So my life equals this. Right. That mindset, I think it ties into our ancient brain. You know, we've had so many people on the show, Rob, that talk about our ancient systems in the brain, the amygdala, mm -hmm. the habenula, these kind of record keepers for failure in the brain. How have you done work? I mean, it's fascinating to me to know that for four years you traveled and then you now teaching people of the things that you learned. How have you overcome the systems of the ancient brain? I think this is a big question for all of us. Yeah. So one thing that that is is. I think different about me from, from some of the people that might be out there is that I am actually really, really geeky and neuro, like neuro, I love neuroscience. I love learning about the brain and learning about the brain, learning about success and learning about habits that people have and kind of figuring out how those have all connected to build me to what I am now and looking at it and saying, I like this one. I'm going to keep this one and reinforce this one. I don't like this one. I'm going to change it. And so for instance, if you look at the brain, there is a, a thing that, that starts to build up on your brain. And if you've ever read the book, The Talent Code, they talk about it. It's called myelin. And myelin builds up, up on the outside of neurotransmitters. And what happens is it builds up in order for the neurotransmitter to be able to fire more directly, more correctly, and faster. So if you look at anything that's plugged into a wall, there's always a rubber bit on the outside of it. Yeah. On the inside, there's a copper wire. And so the copper is what sends, you know, from my wall to my computer that I'm looking at right now, it's what sends the electronic signal. It's on the outside of it, though, there's rubber, so it sends it more efficiently. And that's exactly what happens. The more we do something over and over and over and over and over again, the more myelin builds up on that neurotransmitter to allow it to fire from one place to another, which then creates what we like to call muscle memory or autopilot. So our brain takes up about 30% of the energy that we use throughout the day. Whenever we have to think hard about something new, it requires more energy. So our brain wants to go on autopilot. So that's why you can drive home from another place. You know, you drive home from work and you're like, how the hell did I just get home? I don't even remember driving. Like you're on autopilot so your brain can conserve energy. Yeah. Well, that being said, we have some things that we don't want to do anymore in some habits that we don't want to keep. And so it takes self-awareness for someone to step back, have a pen and paper in their hand, and they say, okay, what do I want to change about myself? What patterns or habits do I want to change? And so, for instance, there's uh, one of the people that I know from when I was younger, we were having a conversation, and he realized after having a long conversation going through this that at one point in time, he fell down in front of a bunch of people and his mom, he was like, I think it was like in elementary school or, you know, even actually younger, I think it was like pre-kindergarten, whatever it was. And he had fallen down, scraped his knee in front of all of the other kids. And his mom came up and like literally coddled him and, you know, made him feel better, which is what a parent should do. But that made the, the thing in his head realize that, oh, whenever I try to do something and I fail, I then get my mother's love. 
Yeah. Right. And so he he related failure without this is unbeknownst to him until he was older. He related failure to love from somebody. And so he started to actually fail as much as possible subconsciously because of the fact that that's what he realized would then give him love. And so it was just this, this weird connection. So you have to kind of take a step back and say, okay, what patterns or habits do I not like about myself that I want to change and realize that when they're, your, your brain is still going to fire, it's still going to go exactly like you would, you know, it's, it's not going to change overnight, but the difference is the way to change it is to say, okay, what do I not like about myself? And what do I want to change? And then now when I start to go down that path, I need to have a new, a new thing. Yeah, but Rob, that question is challenging for so many people. I mean, there's not a deeper question in the world is what do I not like about how I'm being? What do I not right. like about myself? I mean, that you know, I don't want to gloss over that too quickly, man, because you're bringing some hol- some solid wisdom right now. It's like we can't just anecdotally say that out loud in a library. I mean, that right there, like change this video you have, it's change is not easy. Um, you said it's easier to go to the gym and work out than to yeah. sit down and take the <laughs> real inventory of the habits and the emotions kind of in our bank account that really aren't serving us. Can you expound upon that? For sure. So, so I'll do two things. I'll finish what I was going to say. So it may, it kind of comes full circle and then I'll dive into that question as well because it, they kind of have to go together. So the first part is, is you want to think of, of this, this whole myelin thing I'm talking about. The easier way to think of it is if you think of like a, a forest, right? And a forest has a well-worn path. If someone walks down it over and over and over and over and over again, there's always going to be that well-worn path. And then everywhere else around the forest is grown like it normally was. You going down this route of this habit that you don't like is the well-worn path in your brain. Now, what happens is you have to say, okay, what is this thing that I like? What is this, you know, what is this thing that makes me go ahead and do this that I want to change? And what you do is you go, okay, when I start to go down that path, what is my default that I'm going to switch to? And that's the thing that people need to realize. So if, so for instance, say that whenever things get super stressful, I procrastinate, right? Like that's a, that's a very common one. Whenever things get super stressful, I procrastinate. So that is the end that you normally take. And when you start to get things to be, that are really stressful, you need to know in your head, what is my automatic default when things start to get stressful so I don't procrastinate? Maybe what I do is I do 50 push-ups or 100 push-ups or go on a 15-minute run or doing something physical mm-hmm. or it could be anything to just be a different route that your brain takes when things start to go downhill, right? And so what you do is you start to walk down that well-worn path and you're like, oh crap, hold on. I need to get myself off this path and you go a different way. And what happens is the well-worn path will start to regrow itself. You know, the grass will start to come back up and everything. Once a neurotransmitter has been like this, this, this highway has been set, it will never go away, but it can always be diminished and get smaller. And so what you have to do, so that's the, that's the, the whole way that it works inside of your head. So it all makes sense. Now to answer the second question of what you said the, the easiest way to do it is this. Well, it's actually the hardest way to be honest with you, but the easiest way to explain it is this. Um, most people, I don't think meditation is hard for them because they can't turn their brain off. I think meditation is hard for them because they're afraid of what they're going to find when they meditate, because you can't have all of the surface level crap come up. You know, you can't, all of the surface level problems of traffic and all of these things and Sally and accounting and all of those things that you might come up with that are just like the surface level issues are really issues we put in front of ourselves to hide from the things that we're really afraid of, right? The issues Mm. that we have, the problems that we've created, the things that we don't like about ourselves and my good friend Jay Shetty has a, a quote that he uses from like ancient, ancient texts, uh, Hindu texts. And what he says is that meditation made him a bad person. And what he means by that is that when he meditated, he first started meditating. There's a, a, an example that they say is it's like going into an attic and finding a really old mirror, right? And it's been there for a long time. And you have to, in order to see yourself in this mirror, you're going to have to, you know, brush away all of the dust. And all of the dust is going to come up in your face. And it's going to show you all of the bad and all of the bad and all of the bad, your meditation, before it comes into like the true being of who you actually are. Mm. And so that's why it's so hard for people to do. So when you're saying it's easier to go to the gym than it is to sit down and actually self-reflect, is you have to realize that if you're really going to make change, if you don't want to make change, then, then don't self-reflect. But if you really want to make change, you're going to have to at one point in time sit down with a pen and paper and say, what the hell do I not like about myself and how am I going to change it? 
Yeah, and this, that's the only way to do it. This emotional inventory, Rob, we've talked about this, man. I've, I've mentioned it on a few podcasts where for me, I literally just use a pen and paper. But I'll tell you, like, I love the fact that you brought up this real truth. When people are meditating, it's not like they can't meditate. It's possibly that their subconscious is fearful about what they might find. Because like this meditation, whether it's five minutes or 10 minutes, this is a really challenging thing to do. And I think I've never heard someone explain it like you did, man. I really appreciate that. It's not that they can't meditate or that meditation's hard or that, you know, there's the excuse of the monkey mind running amok. It's like, what's there when there's total silence? What are they actually going to find when there's nothing but what's really truly there? It's almost like the truth is undefeated. But yet, why do you think we fight it so much, man? Why do people fight the truth so much? Uh, Because I because it's comfortable where they already are. You know, like I think that that it's if you go back to like the amygdala, the fear part of our brain that still exists is. I always relate everything or try to relate as much as human patterns and things that we do back to being a caveman and cavewoman, right? It, when you're where we are right now, this place that we're in is like the cave. You know, we're, we're in our cave. It's safe. It's the middle of the night. We don't want to walk out of our cave 50,000 years ago because there might be a lion waiting to attack us. We're not nocturnal. We can't see that lion. Right. And yeah. so we would get that actual physical. If we went, if we were in our cave 50,000 years ago in the middle of the night and we started to walk towards the front of it, we would get a real physical fear inside of our body of I might die. Right. And that's the amygdala, the fear based part of your brain. Now we don't have to worry about, you know, I live in Austin. I don't have to worry about walking down the street in the middle of the night and being attacked by a lion. But that part of my brain still exists. And so what happens is, we bring all of these other things and all of these other fears up in front of us to, to kind of put in front of our face to hide from everything else. And so, you know, I always say that your cave, your modern day cave is your comfort zone, right? And the comfort zone that you're in, your brain, your really stupid lizard part of your brain that still exists, the amygdala, is, is not smart enough to know that if you leave your comfort zone, whether that be, you know, I make $50,000 this year, I want to make $100,000 this year right? You know, going from 50 to a hundred thousand dollars, you're not going to die. Like consciously, you know that, but the, the animalistic lizard brain inside of you <laughs> yeah. thinks, holy it crap, feels like we've you're never done die. that before, right? <laughs> yeah. We've never done that. And to do something that you've never done automatically sparks that fear part of your brain of going, oh man, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if this, I don't know if I could do this. This probably isn't, this probably isn't good. I don't, I, this isn't something I want to do. You never know. There might be, there might be death on the other side of this making a hundred thousand dollars because it's literally just like your comfort zone is your modern day cave. And to leave that cave strikes the fear inside of you. And so that's why it's so hard for people to make changes in their life is because of the fact that they're still stuck in that, that cave 50,000 years ago but that's just their comfort zone today. Rob, I love this analogy, man. The the caveman, the amygdala, the cave of comfort. Have you had a cave of comfort in the past three to five years? Like since you started your podcast, was there a cave of comfort that you exited? Oh, hell yeah. So, so my whole thing was, you know, when I first started doing this, I was like, like to put yourself in front of a bunch of people, um, is kind of scary at first because you have to, you know, when I worked with Cutco, I, I, over 10,000 hours of public speaking experience, but I had never sat down in front of a mic with nobody around and just spoken, right? Like most of my podcasts are no interviews. It's just me by myself. And so I was like, I don't even know like how to do this, how to do it right, what the the correct way of doing it is. I don't know if I'm going to be judged. I don't know what it is. So that was my first thing. And then what happened was I started switching to, okay, so then it switched to, all right, well, now I'm on my podcast. That's pretty comfortable. Now I need to actually put out a video that possible millions of people could see. And if you go through my videos, like there is some hardcore judgment in my videos on some of them. Hmm. Like I get some, I get some hate messages. I get a lot more, like a hundred times more love messages than I do hate. But you know, my most, most viral videos at 45 million views, there's been a lot of stuff that I've gotten that's hate from that. And so of course you get that fear of, you know, I've never done this before. I've never had, I've never in my life gotten some, before I started doing this and podcasting and even when I first got my, my first one star review, my first and only one star review out of over 300 reviews, that was a step back for me. And I was like, oh man, I'm getting judged. People are listening to this, you know? And then now when I look at it and I have, you know, 45 million views on one video, but I can scroll down and look at people just call me the worst possible things you could think of. Hmm. You know, there's that tribal part of our brain where we don't want to not fit in because that used to mean death, right? 
Yep. Now it doesn't mean death if we don't fit in, but there's still that part of me of like, if I'm going to start putting these videos up, I'm going to have to be okay with being judged. I've still forced myself to do it because I've always kind of liked the feeling of fear and stepping out of my comfort zone. It's just kind of what's been a little bit more natural to me, I guess, than some people, but it still exists, man. It was, that was the, probably the biggest thing for me over the past three years is, is putting my videos on Facebook and realizing like, you know, I'm a pretty chill person. Sometimes I need to have more personality in my videos so it doesn't look like I'm just a a, a wet doll that's just talking in front of a bunch of people, you know? So, it's, <laughs> so but I feel like haters, it. haters are actually a really good sign. I'm thinking about, you know, social media marketing world and all these conferences where mm-hmm. you actually, the haters are kind of evidence from the universe that you're on the right path. Because if you're speaking your truth and it's that poignant and that powerful that people feel compelled to hate on you, to literally insult you, they know that their words are like slinging toxicity and fire. They know what they're doing. And I believe that you're probably bringing up the pain in them that they're not addressing and they're using you as an outlet to release some of their pain. Oh yeah. I mean, every this is the thing that people should always realize is that the way somebody treats you is never it's very rarely based on how you treat them. It's usually just a projection onto you of how they actually feel about themselves. And so if somebody comes out, that's what I've come to realize, you know, if somebody comes out and screams at me and yells at me and all of these things, it's, it's not like they were having just this pleasant day in their mind before. There's a pretty good chance that it's been, it's been kind of chaotic in their mind for a little while. And you know, it's, it's like the, the Bill Cosby quote, um, he says, I don't know the key to success, but the key to failure is to try to please everybody. Right. You'll never please everybody. And yeah. if you want to step out and do something great, you're going to have people hate you. I have friends that that are way greater human beings than I am, I feel like, and they put videos out and I see them, which are like some of the kindest people I know, get hate from people. And so it's like if they get hate, I, I am in no way not going to get hate. So it's just part of, of going out there. And anytime there's a hater or somebody who tries to talk down to somebody or whether that's you know, Carol in accounting that's just screaming at you, right? She's not screaming at you. She's screaming at herself for the life that she's created. Yes. That's really what it is. Man. And and really this contrast between the ancient brain systems that kept us safe. I mean, we, we don't want to just completely crap all over those. Those were there for a reason. So like we're, we're here in part and parcel because those things were there. But yet now this kind of like disease almost of everyone trying to fit in with everyone else. You have an awesome video that we're going to link in the show notes. It's you in a crowd. You're like in this massive crowd. You're walking around oh, yeah. and it was not fitting in is how you actually live the extraordinary life. You talk yeah. about extraordinary lives we want, but yet so many of us have the fear of not fitting in. And this problem is that this forces us into mediocrity. What did you mean by this, this not fitting in? The fear of that is actually what makes us mediocre. Yeah. So so basically, once again, I, I try to think as much back to cavemen as possible. So why do we have this fear of judgment? Why do we want to fit in? Why do we not want to stand out, right? Because if you look at everybody that you respect, like if you really look at like the one person that, you know, besides your parents or people that are close to you. But if you look at someone that's that's famous or you know has some sort of following or has done something great in the world, they're not like everybody else. They don't fit in, right? And that's the difference. If you look at like, you know, Elon Musk is the first person that pops into my head, right? He just, yeah. he has got like, before he had massive success, he was just like, people made fun of him like crazy, right? But he even says like, he doesn't want to think like everybody else. So if you go back to the tribal days, if you think 50,000 years ago when we were humans and tribes and, you know, we were hunters and foragers and all those things, if we lived on the plains of, you know, Africa or wherever we might've lived, the if you're by yourself, you're much easier to get picked off by a lion, right? If you are in a group and you can all fight a lion off, it's much you have a much better chance at all if you guys are going to live. Yeah. And so we needed to fit in. It was a part of surviving was fitting in with the crowd and making sure that you know everybody didn't hate you and just want to kick you out and leave you in the middle of a plane to just try to survive. So to be pushed out of the tribe meant death fifty thousand years ago. But today it doesn't. And that's the difference is we still have that part of our brain though. As much as we've been able to create amazing things and amazing technology, our brain hasn't changed that much over the past 10, 20, 30,000 years. It still has those parts of our brains that exist. And so for us, we have to realize that, that that's why I'm so obsessed with, with neurology and is to understand these parts of our brains that still exist and understand how people hold themselves back, you can then, what I try to do is I try to learn these very 
in-depth, hard to understand topics and make them easily digestible for everybody. And when you realize with the amygdala, what it does, why we want to fit in, but then you also realize I don't need to fit in anymore. And you start to get that feeling of, well, I might be judged if I do this. Why do I have this feeling? And it's about self-awareness. Why do I have this feeling? Okay. I have this feeling because I think I might be judged for it. Will I die if I get judged for it? No. Okay. Maybe I should do it then. Right. It's, yeah. it's requires stepping out and being different. And all of the great people who you really respect are not like everybody else. And so it's this battle in our brain of, do I fit in and be like everybody else? Or do I stand out and possibly be judged? But now that I know I won't die and that's, what's really going on in my head is it's thinking, will I die? Maybe I should step out on a ledge and just give it a shot. How important is faith in this process? One of the things that I see on your videos is Alpha and Omega. So people that, that don't know, this is the Greek alphabet. Uh, New Testament, Alpha is the first letter, Omega is the last. Uh, it's in the book of Revelation. Uh, God says, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, meaning there's no such thing as time. How important is faith in this process, Rob, of emotional intelligence? Why do you feel compelled to post that, that Alpha and Omega? So I think it's very important. I think that, you know, I've, I've over my lifetime, my family's very religious and I've gotten away from it. But what I've come to realize through a lot of things I've been reading lately, some psychedelic experiences, all of these things is that I've actually become more spiritual since doing all of this stuff because you really realize, and if you actually want to go back to the Bible, it literally says, you know, anything real religious text that you're reading says something along lines of humans were created in the likeness of, of God, right? We have that inside of us. And it's like the, the Miriam Williamson quote says that it is not our darkness that scares us the most. It is our light. And to actually show our light gives other people the permission to do so as well. And so a lot of people I find are not really afraid of failure. What they're afraid of is success. They have this fear. And I think we all unconsciously somewhere in the back of our head realize yeah, this whole universe thing, this whole God thing, I am a piece of it. Whether I was created in the likeness of them or whether if you zoom away from the earth, you realize that I am no separate from this earth than anything else. And we like to see separate things. We like to categorize things in boxes. But if you zoom out away from the earth, we're just one giant organism that's working together. If something on one side of the earth happens, if something heats up, something's going to change around the earth. It all, the mechanism works all of the time. Yeah. So what people don't seem to realize is that we have this greater self that is inside of us. And that's what I'm, I'm trying to work towards towards myself, but also trying to help other people understand is we have this, this God sense or this Christ consciousness that lives inside of us. We need to stop being afraid and actually sit down and say, okay, I'm going to try to figure out what that looks like. I'm going to try to figure out what my best self looks like and try to become that every single day. And so for me, what I always ask people is, you know, in 20 years, where if you have ultimate success in 20 years. If you are like killing it, the best version of yourself in 20 years, what do you have? Oh, I've done this. I've done this. I have this much money in the bank. I've helped this many people. I've created this foundation, da, 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 da. And they plan this perfect, perfect life in 20 years. And I say, okay, who do you need to be in 20 years in order to have had that success, in order to have had that that impact on the world? And what they do is they start planning out what that person looks like in 20 years and I say, okay, don't worry about the success and what you've accomplished then. Just worry about becoming that person. Because as Jim Rohn says, success is not something that you work towards. It's something that you attract by the person that you become. So don't worry about the success. Just worry about becoming that perfect person that you've already written down on a piece of paper. Right? Rob, I'm clenching my fist right now. I'm like <laughs> so excited to, to just ask you five questions. I'm just going to yeah. ask you one, man. Go for it. The, the evidence that people receive, though, I love the fact that you talked about we are truly all connected. And I want to set a pin for a psychedelic conversation. That's mm -hmm. something that I want to share exclusively with you, too, which is we can just do it here live on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, my question, though, is around the evidence that people receive. I think for a long time in my life, I was angry at God. Mm -hmm. I was truly pissed off at the higher power because I was like, how do people die? Why does my mom have an illness? Mm -hmm. Why do people that I care about leave the planet? You know, I was just angry about this. My child, my, my young man inside was pissed off. And I'm curious if you could take us to there for people like myself, like the people listening to Wellness Force, where we know, we know our true feelings. It's just sometimes hard to gather the new evidence that we truly are connected. So, well, so here's what I'll say is I think that, you know, it, it requires a lot. It's, this is a process. I'm in the same situation as you. I was, I always hated God and the fact that why would you, I was raised Catholic, right? 
so it's either you believe in God or you go to hell. Mm. And I always, I always told my mom, like, I, I have a problem with that because if, if this God that we have been told loves us so much, why would he try to scare the crap out of us to believe in him and to do what he says? Right. And there's a great book that I've been reading lately. It's called, I am the word by Paul Selig. And, you know, back in the day before I started doing, you know, these, this spiritual journey that I've been on, I would have been like, this guy's crazy because he's a channeler is what he is. But when you read the book though, it makes complete sense. And what he says in the book is that if you look at what it says in the Bible, it says, God is love, right? The opposite of love is fear. And what he says is that no God that is made of love God is so much love that he doesn't even know, or there's no way that he would be able to actually have any sort of fear to put into man. And so any religion that is fear-based is completely the complete opposite of what what has been taught and what should be taught to people. Because nothing that is 100% love can even have any, any fear even in there. Mm-hmm. And so when I read that, I was like, finally, somebody says what I've been thinking my entire life. And so one of the things that he says in it is that we have this Christ consciousness in front of us and and that we can become. And so the idea of Jesus Christ coming back, they actually think might've been mistranslated from ancient Hebrew. And what it means is the Christ consciousness comes back. And the Christ consciousness basically means, like we were saying, the highest version of every single human. And the highest version of yourself would be called the quote unquote Christ consciousness. And when you declare, okay, this is the day I'm done living this mediocre life. I know I'm going to be honest with myself. I've been mediocre. If my, if I could say on a scale of one to 10, how have I been living my life? Am I at a five? Am I at a six? Because most people aren't in a 10, but I'm going to start living at a 10 each day. Don't worry about the rest of my life. But just one day when I wake up, I'm going to become a 10 and I'm going to be a 10 the next day. I'm going to be a 10. I'm going to do everything that I possibly can each day to be that 10. What happens is God the universe, whatever you believe in, starts giving you opportunities each day to raise your enlightenment towards the greater self or the the Christ consciousness or more in the likeness of God. And the thing that people have to understand is that, and this is, this is, I'm just a dumb person that's just regurgitating stuff that I've read and I've, I've understand that makes sense to me and it works for me. So some people might connect with this. Some people might not. That's okay. It doesn't matter. Um, whatever, whatever floats your boat. Some people might get to it someday. Some people might not get to it one day. But what I think is that you have to have the faith that the greater version of yourself is in the future and that you need to connect to it and you need to try to figure out a way to become that every single day because we can all look at our life. Nobody, nobody's listening to your podcast right now because of the fact that they want to stay in the same place, right? So there's a pretty good chance that I'm yep. connected with most people because they want that greater version. Nobody listens to podcasts that want to stay stagnant or to be in the same place as they are right now in a year. So I think that most people realize there is a greater version of themselves and they're just searching how to do it. And what I think is that, you know, coming from a person who also podcasts and also puts out a lot of content, consume the content, yes, but at some point, go silent and actually figure out what that looks like in your own life. Stop learning and start practicing what you've been learning to try to become that. Yes, man. The bridge between knowing and doing. I mean, it's like that gap in the middle. There's love. There's human connection. There's a narrative that's fortified by the people in the community around us. That's why we're here at the family on the podcast, Rob. I feel like you're part of the family now, man. You're having such a genuine conversation with us about stuff that we're so interested in, this journey of becoming the better human. It's not about just some meme that we throw up on social media. It's about truly taking the inventory, man. One of the powerful things that I've done, and um, I'm going to announce this right now. I'm so excited to tell you this. Uh, I am going to Rhythmia. By the time this podcast comes out, Rhythmia is flying me out to Costa Rica. I'm going to be interviewing Gerard Powell. He's the founder of Rhythmia. I'm going to be doing four ayahuasca ceremonies in a row, and I'm going to be filming the whole interview, and I'm going to share my results about my spiritual inventory with the Wellness Force audience, man. So I would would love to ask you about your experience with psychedelics, this this tool set, I believe. It's just a tool set for us to go as deep as we possibly can go to connect with that best version of ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So it's, um, it's a, it's a, it could be a five hour conversation, but, <laughs> but because it's a lot. So okay. I have, uh, I've done ayahuasca once. I did it once last year. I feel like it was the most life-changing experience I've ever had in my entire life. Bar none. Like there's, there's nothing that could ever happen more in my life. that would be more life-changing than that. 
since then I've, I've done mushrooms a few times. I've, you know, had actual trips with mushrooms and then I've, I've microdosed it as well. And I went from a person that was like, you know what? I don't believe in anything until I actually see it. And then what happened was when you do ayahuasca, it's, it's, it's kind of like this, this world that we've been living in this reality is you realize it's not the real one. And for some people, you're going to be like, what the hell is this woo woo guy talking about? Like, I'm the, I'm the realist, like most realistic person. Like, I will not believe it until I see it. Yep. I am that person. Yep. But once I saw it, I was like, holy crap, I get it. It's like this whole reality that we live in, it's like a cloak. And once you do ayahuasca, it picks up the cloak and you can just see all of the underworkings, how everything's connected, how this piece works with this piece, how this giant organism that we're on nothing happens and just doesn't have some, it's all cause and effect. Right. And so it, it was, uh, you know, millions of lessons downloaded in like four and a half hours and it was good. It was really, 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 really hard. Like the hard, the hardest thing I've done in my lifetime is a million, mm -hmm. but the first hour and a half I went through hell. Some people have beautiful experiences. Ayahuasca need to take me to a really crazy experience in order to give me the lesson, but it's changed my, my perspective on every single aspect of my life. What was the lesson, man? Because the audience um, is so interested in this. I know I am just from a spiritual perspective as well. It's like sometimes, you know, we talked about the cave earlier and I, I think about Joseph Campbell, the cave we fear to enter holds the treasure that we're actually seeking. Mm -hmm. Was there a cave that you got shown? Yeah. So for those of you guys that are listening that don't know exactly what ayahuasca is, it's basically, it's not a drug, it's a medicine. It's actually a tea that's brewed from leaves in Peru. You know, they also do it in Costa Rica and, and you can do it pretty much all over the world if you really want to. They just obviously need tea and water to boil. They, they need the leaves and they need water to boil. And so basically what it does is it is a psychedelic experience. Now, I had never done any psychedelics in my life. I ended up finding out that psychedelic it, itself, if you look at it, psycho means mind, delic means clear. It just means clear mind, right? We all know that as far as humans are concerned, there's a tiny, tiny bit that we're able to actually see if you look at the actual spectrum of light. There's a tiny, tiny bit that we're able to hear if you look at the entire spectrum of sound, like my dog will bark at stuff that I don't hear, right? Like that's an actual fact. Imagine, and it's like a governor in a car. If you have a car that goes, you know, you get into a Ferrari, it could go 180 miles an hour. If you take that governor off that holds it from going faster, it could go like 200, 210. Right? It's like the governor so that there's not too much information coming into your mind. When you do this stuff, the governor's off and you can see everything. And I mean everything. You can see the walls, how they're connected, how you see that there's no, there's no hard lines. Everything's kind of moving a little bit. So what happened with me, there was, there was a lot of lessons. The two ones that, that when you ask the, the version of what the cave was, I'll tell you that second. But first, I'll tell you the easy one, which was the, the golden rule is treat Ever, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? The platinum rule is do unto others as if they are you living a different life. Hmm. And that was wouldn't have clicked with me until I did it and actually saw, oh yeah, I see, I understand the whole way that we're connected. Because if you were to go and look at a microscope and you were to, to, to poke an atom on one side, something's going to happen on the other side, right? Just like if you zoom away from the earth and you do something to one part of it, something's going to happen to another part of it. And then you realize, oh, that's the way that we're all completely connected. Like this person who is a different person is actually me living a different life because we are actually one big giant organism. And what you start to realize is, is ways to treat people more, ha have more empathy, have more, have less judgment, all of these different things. So this was, that was a big thing for me because I know that I was the type of person who judged people a lot. I was just, you know, I think I was raised by a lot of people who just kind of judged it yeah. coming up in the Catholic church. Pff, that is judgment, right? Yep, yep. So, so I was raised that way. And so I wanted to release that. So I've, I've actually feel like I've gotten much further away from that. The cave for me was when you do ayahuasca, like there is no control, like ayahuasca is in control and you're going to get a lesson no matter what. Um, and so the, for those of you guys that are listening to this, you've never heard of it and you're doubting it. Almost everybody who does this psychedelic goes to the exact same place on this another dimension, and they all report having conversations with other beings in other dimensions 
and it is a life-changing experience for them. It's not like you do drugs and you're just doing it because it's a Saturday night. It's literally like you do this because you want to chat with God and God's going to tell you how amazing and beautiful of a being that you are, but he's going to sit down with you and give you a nice little spank in the butt and be like, this is where you're really screwing up. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to come easy. It's going to be really, really hard, but that's why people, you know, it is a, uh, I think it's like a 70% success rate for people who are addicted to heroin. Yeah. Tell me something that does that, right? 70% success rate, people who are addicted to heroin. It's like a 75, 80% success rate, people who are addicted to alcohol. Like people are completely changing their lives from doing this, right? And then, and so my thing was that I had never done a psychedelic experience, never any of those things. Only thing I'd really done was drank and smoked weed a little bit when I was younger, right? And that was it. So this was way more intense than I had possibly thought. So when it came on and it sent me, literally rocketed me into these other dimensions and I saw colors and shapes and things that I had never seen before that was just flying past me. It's like an information download that you're just trying to pick pieces up and understand what's going on. My intention was to not try to control it um, and to try to just stay back and just let it do what it's going to do. That's what your intention can be, but that's like basically for me at least being pushed off the Empire State Building and going, yeah, I'm just going to meditate on the way down. <laughs> like it was, it's impossible. Yes. It's so much going on. It's so intense. And so the first hour and a half was me struggling. I would close my eyes and I would see these things and these geometric shapes and patterns and all of these things that were so intense and these sounds that I had never heard, but all of these colors that I had never seen before. Right? You're you're literally seeing colors you've never seen. Right. And so it's literally going to another world and trying to not freak out about it. And so I was freaking out and trying to control. So I'd close my eyes, but then it would open my eyes. And the room that I was in was not the same room that I was in before. And so I'm trying to search for something that I had ever seen before in my entire life with my eyes closed and my eyes open, and it did not exist. So I was freaking out. I was, you know, I wasn't freaking out crazy. It was in my head. I was you were receiving the contrast of you trying to be in control. Right. Right. And so what happened was this. So when you do ayahuasca, you purge. And so purging could be in the most commonly, it's a form of throwing up or it is, you know, actually some people poop, like they, they crap themselves or they go into the, you know, they go and hopefully they don't crap on themselves, but they go into it, you know, the bathroom and they, they, do what they need to do. Some people can't control it and they can't get there in time and they do happen. I feel like the people that that do that though, Rob, they're the ones that didn't follow the diet process. There is a (laughs) diet process for like 10 days beforehand. And, um, you know, as Rob's explaining this too, like just know that ayahuasca is not for everyone, but it is for the right people that feel the call to it. And I'm listening to you and I'm, I want to direct you back if you feel compelled to share with us, man, about the cave, because Rob, it's like people really they fight that cave. I know I so did this, for a long time. So I got it. This is, I have to kind of prep to get to it. So you understand how, how the cave happened and how, where it came from. So I am, there's the purging process, the throwing up, the crapping, but there's also yawning, crying, laughing, sweating. Those are all forms of purging, right? And yeah. so what happened is we're wearing all white and uh, <laughs> it's going to sound crazy, but this is what happened, right? I was trying to control, trying to control, trying to control, boom, 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 for an hour and a half. And then I was face down And I literally went in my head, I went, oh my gosh, did I just happen to poop on myself? Like that was my, that was my (laughs) thought. That was my thought. I'm face down. And luckily I did not, but I thought that I had, and I, and I was face down wearing white and there was 13 other people in the room. Now the other people, I didn't, unbeknownst to me, like they didn't, they were on their own journeys. They didn't even know I existed either. But I went like this, I went from trying to control it to going finally an hour and a half later going, okay, (sighs) If I need to completely relinquish control and poop on myself in front of 13 other people in order for me to completely relinquish control of everything in my life, I'll do it. And I don't know anything more embarrassing than pooping yourself in front of 13 other people. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, I didn't, but I thought that I had. And as soon as I said that in my head, it went and just everything calmed down. And then it was just like this beautiful experience. And it was like, God was like, all right. It's time for us to talk now. You can ask me any question that you want to. And it was, it was, went from chaos to like beauty within a tenth of a second. And that was it. And so then I was able to ask all these questions. But then I was, what I said was, okay, why did I have to go through that? Like, why did I, it was literally the worst. There's, I could go on and on and on about how dark and deep this is, but it was hell. Like I learned how space and time does not exist and that I will, and I was thinking to myself, I will never leave this, this hell that I'm stuck in. Right. So it was, the worst thing that I could possibly imagine because I think everybody's hell is a different thing. Yeah. And I was stuck in my own. 
And so what happened was I made the connection through this. I have a control problem. Okay, where did my control problem come from? Well, when I was younger, my father's an alcoholic. There were times when I would, more times than, than not, when I would be at a baseball game and he was supposed to pick me up and he, would not, he wouldn't show up. Or I didn't know if he would show up drunk and if he would embarrass me or if he would fall out of the bleachers. Or, you know, my mom said there was times when I was a kid when I used to, he said he would come pick me up to go fishing or say he would. And then I would sit there for hours on the front porch and he would never pick me up. And so what I realized was my childhood was filled with uncertainty with an alcoholic father, right? The only way to combat uncertainty is to try to control everything, right? And so, and this is coming full circle from one of your first questions too, and and I'll bring that in. Mm -hmm. And so the only way to combat uncertainty is try to control everything. The only thing that I control though is myself. I can't control any external circumstances. We so badly want to control other people, the way they talk to us. We want to control the traffic. We want to control the weather. We want to control every single aspect, but we cannot control anything except for what we think and what we do. Nothing else is under our control and that's it. But my problem was that I was trying to control other people's experiences. And in a sense, there was a lot of different times where I was trying to control their experiences and not realizing that I was being a complete ass, mm-hmm. right? I was being an ass to people and not realizing it. And they thought that I was, I was that, you know, then I realized, oh my gosh. So the main thing that's holding me back from, from my form of enlightenment is that I need to be okay with the unknown. And well, your question was, how did they be okay with change? Well, do you have to realize that the only thing that is constant is change. And the only thing that you can control is yourself. And so to try to control the external circumstances will never be something that you can do. And so for me, that was like my big breakthrough. Believe me, I'm not changed completely. My, my mindset has changed completely, but I still catch myself in these. You're more again, self-aware. We're talking, right. We're talking about these, these paths that I've gone down my entire life. Yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying to change them. I still get stuck in them sometimes, but I've been able to kind of sit back and view things from a, you know, from a perspective of somebody else and go, okay, I don't have to control everything. People can do what they want to do because when other people come into my life or come into my circle, that brings a variable because I can't control somebody else. So that was a struggle for me, I realized. And so that was my biggest breakthrough. So my cave was uncertainty. My way to cope with it was control. And so now I realized, okay, if that's my uncertainty, I need to be okay with the fact that, you know, I don't have to control everything. Man, Rob, I'm visualizing this whole story. As you've been talking, I I literally felt like I was there with you. And I'm thinking about these moments that you flashed back on. And this is what happens with people. You know, we had Dr. Courtney Warren on the show. She's a really amazing psychologist. And she actually admitted like talk therapy, it's not for everyone. There's many ways to heal. And I feel like you've just painted this incredible picture for us, Rob, of how psychedelics, (laughs) I love the way you put it too, where you said it's actually a clearing of the mind. People don't need to be afraid of this. Now, I also want to have a caveat, like we're not giving medical advice here. Rob's not saying everyone go do ayahuasca. (laughs) Rob's just so boldly sharing his experience. And I'm really excited, Rob, to sync back up with you when I have mine. I know everyone listening is as well. It's so funny. I I wanted to bring you on the show today to talk about this article that was on your website, the one small thing that will massively change your life. And we went (laughs) in such a different direction. But I think, as you mentioned, they're all connected, man, This, this kind of introspection into our soul. Like, why are we actually here? Are we truly connected? What does God and faith have a role in how we are powerful, how we serve others in relationships? And I would say one thing, man, for the people that are listening that are single, like myself, it's really a dive into intimacy. It's knowing ourselves. Self-awareness came up so much, man, in what you were sharing. And this one thing that will massively change our life, it's really about doing the work. This article you posted on the site, can you you share that with us? Because I think it's a great way for us to cap this conversation conversation that, by the way, we just like touched the surface on this thing. People are going to have to go check out your work after this conversation, man. For sure. So which, which article are you talking about? This is the one small thing that will massively change your life. And in it, you talk about the boiling of the frog. <laughs> you know, the frog uh, doesn't know that the heat is coming, but yet all of a sudden it's too late to change. Yeah. So, so, and this is perfectly for a podcast like yours, where it talks about, you know, health as well. And I always say to people, you know, the, <laughs> You'll never eat a hamburger and then have a heart attack right away. It's never just one hamburger causes a heart attack. It's a bunch of little teeny tiny ham, you know, hamburgers and different things and little, you know, shouldn't have had a couple fries and it builds up to a certain thing, right? And Tony Robbins talks about, you know, your life could be two millimeters off and a big thing starts to change. And so it could be not that you made one big mistake in your life or one big 
change in your life. It's a bunch of little teeny tiny ones. And the, the where that this came from is there's a story of, and it's, you know, I don't, I hope it's not true, but you know, it is, it's true that this would happen. I think that they actually did test this and this is, this is kind of where the story came from, but you can't put a, a frog in boiling water. Cause it will, you know, before you get it to the boiling water, it'll jump off your hand, all of those things. The way to boil a frog is to put it into normal room temperature water and slowly raise the temperature. And then after a while, that water will be boiling because it doesn't notice. It's so it's so used to that that water getting a little bit warmer and it's comfortable. It's a little warm, it's comfortable until it's too late. And I think that a lot of people get caught in that situation where it's like they sometimes they look at their life and they they really and I've been there before where they're like, how the f did I even get here? Like, <laughs> yeah, what 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 happened to get me to this point of just unhappiness or unfulfilled or whatever it might be. Yeah. And it's never one big thing. It's just an accumulation of little teeny tiny decisions. And so I like to say the way you do one thing is the way you do everything, right? And this came from, I was at the gym one time and my, I was warming up and I was on a treadmill and my goal was just 10 minute warm up. And at nine minutes and 50 seconds, I almost stepped off. And I was like, hold on. If I'm, if I'm letting myself come up short on something so small and minuscule that nobody else in the world will ever know about, then I'm probably allowing myself to come up short in other parts of my life as well. Maybe I'm sleeping in later than I should. Maybe I'm not meditating. Maybe I'm not journaling. Maybe I'm not eating the right stuff. And what I realized was, okay, the way I do one thing is the way I do everything. I'm going to stay longer. If I'm supposed to be on this for 10 minutes, I'm going to go for 11 minutes. I'm going to do 10% more. And then what I thought was, why don't I just try to do 10% more in everything that I do? Because if, you know, the boiling water, you know, the slowly, slowly, slowly starts getting hotter becomes boiling water. Well, also the reverse is the same thing. It's not one big event that makes your life magnificent. It's a bunch of little teeny tiny decisions of making the right small incremental decisions of, all right, maybe I should wake up 15 minutes early and meditate. And then it turns into 30 minutes and then whatever it might be, it's small incremental decisions that change your life. It's not one big massive decision. And so I think that's what people need to realize is that it's not, success is not something to be afraid of because you don't have to make these massive changes. It's just little teeny tiny changes in what you're already doing is what they need to focus on. And it's not about, you know, worrying about the next 20 years. It's worrying about just being your best self today and be 1% better tonight than when you woke up and being 1% better just in this moment than you were yesterday. Mm. And if they just focus on those small little teeny tiny things, eventually they'll look back in 20 years and be like, damn, how did I get here? But this time they'll be happy about it versus frustrated. Yeah. Sometimes in life, you wind up face down wondering if you're going to poop yourself. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so we get to these places where the lessons aren't always sexy. They're not always fun. But I just feel like, man, this has been such a great conversation with you. I had no idea we were going to go to this place in our conversation, but I think I know, it's man. so of service and so timely for what's happening in the world right now. There's never been a more important time for us to focus on taking inspired actions from a place of love. And this isn't just lip service here. Like everyone that listens to this show, Rob, they are invested in becoming this better version of themselves, becoming more physically and emotionally intelligent. I mean, that's what we do here every week. So tell people where they can learn more, man, about what you're up to, about MWF motivation, and also some challenges I saw that you have coming up too. Yeah. So the easiest way to find me, if you listen to podcasts, you want to continue listening. I have MWF motivation podcast. It's a no BS motivational podcast. It comes out Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So that's what the MWF stands for. Um, and then if you are on Facebook and you want to get motivational stuff, like that's where my biggest following is. Um, I've got almost 500,000 people that follow me on Facebook. Um, you can just put my name in R-O-B-D-I-A-L. So Rob Dial on Facebook and uh, you can start following me on there. And then the challenge that I have is I started a free challenge group just because um, a lot of people are reaching out. It's hard to just put up episodes on podcasts and then put up stuff on Facebook and not be able to converse with my community. And so I decided to start, like a lot of people were saying, I'm, I'm struggling with my New Year's resolutions. And I was like, all right, well, why don't we just start a challenge group and we'll just see what we can do with this challenge group. And you know, everybody that joins the challenge group, I'm going to go live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and they can join in now, but it's the easiest way to go to it. If you're listening is go to coachwithrob.com and it automatically sends you to it. So it'll send you to the group. You sign up for it. It's absolutely free. And, uh, I'm going to go live and give instructional things on how to reverse your year. If it's not going the, the way that you want it to.
coachwithrob.com that rhymes and guys definitely check out his work like this is a man who i've seen create so much in the past three years and i just want to honor you you know it's been three years since we've talked and the way that we've had this conversation the way you showed up today for all of us and and we're just willing to share from your deepest place about your lessons and healing and personal growth i I just want to acknowledge you man for this work that you're doing in the wellness industry just helping people grow and helping people remember what it's like to operate from that place of love. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Hey, my friend. Thank you for hanging out and growing with me on today's show. Remember to hit subscribe, share this podcast with somebody you care about that you think gets to hear this message. Support the show by leaving a five-star review for the podcast right now simply by tapping on your show artwork on your iPhone. Click that purple link that says review this podcast. It helps the show reach more conscious and smart people like you and your voice will attract more world-class guests that want to come on the show. So let them hear your voice. For all the downloads, videos, links, and free resources mentioned on the episode, go to wellnessforce.com forward slash radio. And while you're at my house on the web, join us in the Wellness Force community newsletter on that page and I'll send you four free guides around staying healthy with your eating, moving, and sleeping while you travel. But don't let this conversation stop here. Join a group of people like you over at the Wellness Force community Facebook page. This is where we talk about the things that really matter. We share our wins, inspirations, struggles, and a lot more. So join us, tap on the show artwork on your phone and hit that purple link that says join the Facebook group and I will welcome you at the door. Okay, now you get to go out into your world and create impact for the people that you care about. So until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.